Well, pneumatology is what we're studying tonight. Um, and pneumatology is, we'll get into that in a little bit, but it's about the, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Uh, my brother is married to his high school sweetheart. They've been married for over 15 years. And I remember in high school, they had a very on-again, off-again relationship. And I remember one time coming down to the basement where he was, uh, where his room was, and he was sitting with my brother, or he was sitting with my other brother, and he had tears in his eyes. He'd obviously been crying. And I said, oh, what happened? He's like, they broke up last night. I was like, oh, Okay. And then that evening, John was all dressed up, and he looked really nice. And I said, where are you headed? He says, I'm going out on a date. We got back together, right, in that same very same day. Uh, and I think sometimes we think about the Holy Spirit. Often we have an on-again, off-again relationship in the life of the believer. Not on his part, but in ours, in the way that we think about him, what his involvement is in our lives, and what he's doing. And we want to encourage us tonight by looking into his word that that shouldn't be the case, and it should be our desire to have an ever-present relationship with the Holy Spirit. So as we looked at over the last couple of weeks, looking at theology proper, who is God and what has God done? And we looked last week at Christology being who is Christ, who is Jesus, and what has he done? We're going to follow that same pattern tonight, looking at who is the Holy Spirit and what is he doing more than what he has done? What is he doing in the life of a believer and why that's so important? Here's just a short little video on uh, pneumatology. So we're going to try to do all of that of what he said of who is the Holy Spirit, what's his, what's he do in relationship to believers. And pneuma is the Greek word for wind, air, and breath. And so what we're going to try to mention in this session is what does God, the Holy Spirit, do? And what we start out with, though, is who is the Holy Spirit? And for that, we're going to turn it over to uh, Zach. All right. So number one, who is the Holy Spirit? Just quite simply, the Holy Spirit is God, right? To use the ancient Nicene Creed, he is God of very God. Uh, third person of the Trinity. So if you remember the correct biblical view of the Trinity, right? We have one God. He exists in three persons, but then each person is fully God. So the Holy Spirit is fully God, co-equal, co-eternal with the Father and with the Son. Um, and also, when you do a systematic theology study of the Holy Spirit, you see that the Holy Spirit actually possesses attributes that are unique to deity. So I forgot to put this one on here, but in Hebrews 9.14, he is eternal. He is the eternal spirit, right? Uh, and only God is eternal. He's from everlasting to everlasting, from vanishing point to vanishing point. You also see in 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11 that he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. Um, no, one, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit. He's also omnipresent. Give us what's omni, Zach. Oh, omni means all. And then so these are Latin phrases. You got to like how these theologians love this stuff. But yeah, he couldn't just say all present. All, all, yeah. Right. It's no. not, we got an omni. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he is omnipresent. Psalm 139 is kind of a key text for that. It says, you know, David says, you know, where can I go from your spirit? Your spirit is all present. Uh, you see also that the spirit of God is active in creation. 
Genesis 1, 2, he says that the Spirit is hovering over the water, right? Um, the Holy Spirit's the author of life. Uh, Luke 1, 35, you know, the angel of the Lord's talking to Mary, um, and he says to her, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and overshadow you, and, and Jesus is going to be conceived. Um, and then also, the Holy Spirit is the divine agent of the Scriptures, 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, the writers of the scriptures were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So that's so fascinating, so awesome. And then oftentimes in the scriptures, you see the expression God said and the Spirit of God used interchangeably actually within a particular context. Um, and you see that several times in Acts. So also the Bible tells us in John 14, uh, 16 and 17, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. So the Bible teaches us there that the Holy Spirit's the helper, he's the advocate, and he's the counselor. So, um, in the Greek word paraclete, para, it basically, I mean, it has this idea of alongside of, so you guys have heard of paralegal. You guys have also heard of the word parachurch organization, right? It's the one who comes alongside. And then coletzo is, the, is called. And so when you put the two together, the Holy Spirit is the one who is called alongside of us who, to help us, to give us aid, to give us comfort. So just in wrapping up this little section, the Holy Spirit is real. And the Holy Spirit's not a force. That's one of the biggest things you really have to walk away. Who is the Spirit? He's not a force. He's real. He relates to us in a very personal way, as we're going to find out. Yeah, that's awesome. That The Holy Spirit is, is not a force. Ephesians 4.30, right? It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, which is in you. You can't grieve a force. The Holy Spirit is a person. He has intellect, knowledge, and will. Uh, he can be grieved just like uh, any other person does. But I want us to go to, Zach mentioned this verse. Let's go to Acts chapter 5, if you got a Bible. It's important to see this, this direct connection to the deity of Christ where he's actually called God. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, kind of a, a dark picture here in the beginning of the early church to to have the purity of the church, these two, this husband and wife were killed on the spot. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. It says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? So they said, hey, we've given this money from the land, and we're going to give it all to the church. But really, they were holding a lot of that land back. And then he says in verse uh, 4, While it remained unsold, did not it remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Now catch this. You have not lied to man, but to God. So there's a direct reference to it. He says, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And then Peter says, you haven't lied to any a person only. You haven't lied to man. You've lied to God himself, establishing the deity of, of the Spirit along with all those other things that Zach has mentioned. And he's the helper. And uh, Francis Chan is often called the Holy Spirit the forgotten God. He's got a book underneath that title. 
Um, that's not good for us to forget the Holy Spirit. But I don't know, Zach, would you agree with this? Maybe I'm overstepping. The Holy Spirit kind of likes to be forgotten in a sense, right? Because what's his, what does he do? What's his main goal? Yeah, he's got a ministry of conviction, but he also points us right back to Jesus. I love that. So his goal is to point you to Jesus, to glorify Jesus. That's what his ultimate aim is to do. So he likes being forgotten in a sense, but uh, he should never be forgotten, his important role in our lives. So uh, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to talk about this important role that Jesus didn't start his earthly ministry until he was indwelt with the Holy Spirit at his baptism. And then after his baptism, and you see the Holy Spirit just directing everything in the life of Christ, he was driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. He led him everywhere he went. And then you see in the book of Acts, the instructions to the early church is, hey, don't go anywhere outside of Jerusalem. Because if you try to go without the Holy Spirit, you're going to royally screw this up, all right? You need him to go with you, and he's going to cause you to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. But wait until the arrival of the Holy Spirit. So the question then is asked, perhaps, and it's a little bit before this one here, is how do you or when do you receive the Holy Spirit? So if all believers are filled with the Spirit of God and dwelled with the Spirit of God, Acts 2, why don't you go ahead and turn here, should there be an Acts 5, Acts 2, verse 38, I don't know if I have this one or not, nope, I don't have this one, so Acts 2, verse 38 and 39, Peter giving his Pentecost sermon, that is, after he himself received the Holy Spirit, says, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you, those who is presently speaking to, for your children and who all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So we receive the Holy Spirit of God. Every believer receives him at conversion when they place their faith and their trust in Christ. Now, just at a glance, you might read this and think, well, it says they believed and were baptized. One had to be baptized in order to receive the Holy Spirit. Well, if you look throughout the whole book of Acts, there are many times actually where someone believed and they were instantly, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and it was before they ever were baptized or anything else. In fact, they after they received the Holy Spirit, people go, wow, they must be truly converted. Let's baptize them because they belong to God. So all believers are indwelled with the Holy Spirit for all time. So the Holy Spirit is God. He's not a force. And he is act, he's received through repentance and belief in Jesus Christ because that's who he's pointing to. And he's actively involved in the world and the life of the believer before and all the way up to the end of salvation, all the way through it. So we'll move into what does the Holy Spirit do? Now, some of you have seen this before, and I think it's worth repeating. Pastor Pat has shown these before, and it's through walkthrough in the Bible. But really helpful stuff as what the Holy Spirit is doing and some actions that go along with it to help you remember the vital role the Holy Spirit is playing in our lives. Whether we acknowledge it or not, he is doing these things in the world. So it's best for us to acknowledge it and live in light of what he is doing. So first of all, we see here, that uh, the Holy Spirit first is restraining, or he restrains. Zach's going to tell us about that. 
this is one of those things about the ministry of the Holy Spirit you may not think of about like on a regular basis, but he has a ministry of restraining. And Second Thessalonians two seven. I can read that. For the, myst- the, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. So the Holy Spirit is in the context of Paul's telling the Thessalonica church about basically the end times. And he's basically saying, hey, this man of lawlessness is going to come on and hit the scene. Well, right now the Holy Spirit is restraining that man of lawlessness, right? So we know the end time is not here because... The Greek word for restrain is to hold back, detain, hold fast. It kind of has this word picture of you holding the boat in its course. And so that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit is holding this man of lawlessness back until the end times. Yeah, and that motion for restraints oh. is just taking your hands and pushing it, down. pushing it down. Let's all do that together. Ready? Pushing it down. <laughs> pushing it down. The first thing the Holy Spirit does is he restrains. So, Zach, we look at the world around us, and it's pretty evil, right? I mean, how many of you look at the world around you and you see the evilness in the world around you, right? It could be a whole lot worse were it not for the presence of the Holy Spirit. You look around at the world and all of its evils and the Holy Spirit yet is still restraining the evil in the world. And that's hard to imagine, but think about what it will be like and ultimately what it will be like in the end when his restraint is removed from the world and literally all hell breaks loose, right? I mean, it's going to be, yeah. So the first thing he does is restrains. Secondly, he regenerates. He regenerates. And these are the 13 bullet points. We're going to move through these rather quickly because we want to get through all 13 of them. But uh, this one for regenerates is just like a, a baby cradle in your hand, just like this, right? Some of you are doing that, two of you. Very good. It's just, res- it's right? It's their baby cradle in your hand, which, which shows us the new birth. That is to be born again is a work of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus says in John chapter 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So you see here Jesus talking to Nicodemus in ways that Nicodemus knew all about. He's quoting from Ezekiel, and he's showing this new covenant blessing of the Holy Spirit, which will come in and regenerate believers so that they see their need for Jesus. So if you've come to know Christ, that's because the Holy Spirit has opened your mind and your heart to see your need for Jesus. That's what it means to be born again, to be regenerated. Is when You remember when you came to know Christ and you, you'd heard the gospel before and all of a sudden it made sense? You're like, I need that. That's, I need that. I need Christ in my life. I'm a sinner. That's because the Holy Spirit has revealed that to you. And without the work of the Holy Spirit working in your heart and through, oftentimes it's through his word, sometimes it's through another person sharing his word, but that's what causes us to be born again is the work of the Holy Spirit, which then causes us to repent and believe in the gospel. So he is restraining, he's regenerating, and third, he is in the life of a believer. Once you've been regenerated, he convicts, and that one's mine too, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I was wondering, I was like, Zach, take this over, but that's me. All right, he convicts, all right? And this one is just pointing the finger, just like this, right? Just like a lawyer points the finger, right? This is the Holy Spirit putting his finger on your chest, and he's convicting you. And this is what John chapter 16 says. And when he comes, he will convict 
the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Sometimes it's a, it's a light tapping. He's going to come into the world to convict us. This is Jesus talking about what the Holy Spirit is going to do to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sometimes it feels like a hammer that's beating upon your chest, right? You felt that before, this deep conviction from the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's from hearing the Word of God. Sometimes it's a person. Sometimes it's a circumstance. But whatever it is, God is using His Holy Spirit to convict you of sin, Now, oftentimes, though, we can grow cold or numb to the Spirit's conviction, right? There are some things in our lives where we don't feel conviction over them, and oftentimes that's because sin will cause us to numb our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, and do not quench the Holy Spirit. And I really think the two ways that that happens is sounds like Pentecost a little bit here, doesn't it, man? (laughs) Roaring the wind. Oh, my goodness. Your hair's on fire. No. Uh, Is this isolation and sin. Sin and isolation from the body of Christ and from people will often make you less sensitive to the Holy Spirit's conviction. And so that's why we need to be in the Word of God and around the people of God for the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin. Fourthly, the Holy Spirit baptizes. Baptizes. All right. The motion so, for this one, right? Oh, yeah. Is put your finger on your nose. Finger on the nose. Lean back. All right. <laughs> All right. So baptism, number one, Brad and I are, are in uh, agreement. This is not a second filling. I'm not talking about I think the scriptures are in agreement yes, with us, too, yeah, on that. Yeah. yeah. It's not a second filling. So in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, after a really long list of spiritual gifts, that Paul's telling the church there in Corinth, you read this. For in, one, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. So you and I are baptized into the body of Christ. Does that make sense? And so the word baptismo, it means to be submerged or merged. And literally, that's the idea. You and I, we're not sprinkled into the body of Christ. We are submerged. We're immersed into the body of Christ. And get this, that if you go back and read that context there in 1 Corinthians 12, you and I, the Spirit of God gives us or points spiritual gifts to you and I to encourage, to minister, and to equip the local body of Christ. That's amazing. The Spirit determines these gifts to each one of us, and then that when you're in that local body, you know, when you're baptized into that body, you and I are then being able to minister to each other, have true fellowship in koinonia. It's an amazing aspect of the Spirit. So, Zach, if someone comes along with you who embraces this Holy Spirit baptism, but maybe in a different way, and they say, have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit? What would your answer be? Wrong. No. (laughs) No, have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit? What do they mean when they're asking that? Yeah, so there's kind of that two-step approach in a lot of people's minds and their their thought process. Yeah. but yeah, I would reject that. At the moment of conversion, at the moment you place your trust in Christ, the Spirit of God indwells you and I as the believer, and then he baptizes you into the a body of Christ. Yeah, so many would teach that it's not a conversion, but there's a second baptism. Often when you speak in tongues is what they would say, that that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's how you know but according to this in sec- in 1 Corinthians, that it happens at conversion. It's being baptized and immersed, as you said, into the body of Christ. Body of Christ yep. 
Okay. Exactly what he means. That's good. All right, so what do we got? We got restrains. We got regenerates, convicts, baptizes, and then fifthly, we have indwells. Ministry of the Holy Spirit, he indwells you and I. 1 Corinthians 6.19. And I got it too. He says, um, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. So again, at the moment of conversion, when you believe that Jesus is Lord, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and, and me. And, and I would say this, if that didn't happen, you and I would fall back into spiritual deadness. That's mm. how crucial the Spirit of God's indwelling in you and I. Mm. Um, I'd also say to just you and I as believers with indwelt with the Holy Spirit have a more intimate relationship than even the disciples did when, Christ, when they were with Christ. Mm. I know that's crazy, but... You know, we we always talk about, man, I'd love to be with Jesus, man. And that, believe me, we're going there. But we have a more intimate relationship than even the disciples did at the time of Christ. Because they were with Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and dwelling us. Does that make sense? Huge. That's epic. And if you think about it this way, too, think of the disciples before the resurrection, the ascension of Christ. You know, think of Peter just as an example, you know, just they weren't the, you know, super Christians that they were after the Holy Spirit and dwelt them. And once they had the Holy Spirit living inside them, these guys became super Christians. Yeah, that's when we think about that. One author has said it's better to have God inside of you than the God beside you. Right. You think about the power of. I don't know, like you said, if sometimes we believe that, like, man, living with Jesus would have been awesome, and it would have been, yeah. but we've got it better off than the disciples and the apostles did. Yep. If if I don't leave, then the Holy Spirit can't come, so they can't be in the same place, right, like that, but they, that's outstanding. Even So the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You think about when the Spirit of God entered the temple in the Old Testament, I mean, the cloud was so dense that the priests couldn't even do their work that day, right? Yeah. And then for God to say that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, God's dwelling is inside of you. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. It's humbling. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Phenomenal. So God indwells, and that is the sign there is a pregnant lady, right? For dudes, that might be a little difficult, right? But it's pregnant. you got an indwelling child inside of you, right? It's a pre- there you go, Dan. That's really good. <laughs> Excellent work, right? So God indwells. And then uh, sixth, God or the Holy Spirit seals. The Holy Spirit seals. And that's not like kiss from a rose seal or the zoo seal. This is like a king's seal. So we do this like a seal, like you're stamping something, right? So uh, you think of the king seal, and the king seal, when it was placed over a letter or an envelope, it could not be broken. So the Holy Spirit is saying, you are sealed up by God, and then the seal is given by the Holy Spirit that your salvation is a guarantee. And that is tells us that in uh, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until he acquires possession of it to the praise of his glory. Nobody can undo that seal. Once you're in Christ, it can't be undone. And it's a guarantee that one day you're going to have an inheritance given to you by God himself. And the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of that. I was thinking about that the other day. Remember Uzziah? Remember, he's the one that uh, was sent out into battle and was told to go to the front lines by David, and then everybody's going to drop away, and he was going to be killed. He actually carried the letter from King David himself, but it was sealed with the king's seal. He had his own death sentence inside the letter, but he was not allowed to open it up because that seal was permanent. And so this is the Holy Spirit does is he guarantees inheritance and guarantees salvation if we truly do know him. So number seven, then, is the Holy Spirit sanctifies. And for that, you just do a little halo above your head, the, uh, right? A little halo above the head. There, you can use two hands, right? Thanks, Mike. There you go, the little halo above your head. The Holy Spirit sanctifies, First Peter 1, verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. That's a good Trinitarian verse right there, man. The foreknowledge of the Father, the sanctification of the Spirit to to what? What's the next part there? Obedience to Jesus Christ. So that's what holiness is, is obedience to Jesus Christ and growing in him. What kind of spirit is he? He's the Holy Spirit, right? So his job is to make us holy, to make us more like Jesus. That's what sanctification means, to progressively be set apart, to be more and more like Jesus throughout our lifetime. That's what his goal is. He sanctifies us through the blood of Christ and that he sets us apart at salvation and then continues to sanctify us day by day as we rely upon Christ, we grow in his word, and we grow together in the gospel. So we are definitely called to be sanctified. And let me just say this. Being sanctified and growing in holiness, not perfectly, is evidence that you have the Holy Spirit, right? If the Holy Spirit resides in you, you will produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that you don't backslide. Sometimes you don't have lapses where you don't desire God. But if you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God, you will produce the fruit of God. It's going to happen if he's living in you. And that's the evidence that you've been regenerated is that you grow to look more like Christ daily, sometimes slow. Sometimes it can feel like you're not growing, but you will be growing in Christ. The Holy Spirit resides in you. And then eighth is fills, right? That one's kind of like the pregnancy one, right? Yeah. But it is actually a filling. Like you just had Old Country Buffet, right? But you, don't, but you don't feel bad like you did at Old Country Buffet. It's more of like a really healthy type, maybe a salad buffet. But that yeah. would feel terrible too. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't know. Whatever you makes you feel good after you've eaten that soup. Yes, everyone feels so full and filled after soup. Yeah. So whatever that? it is, filling. Tell us about that. Yep. Uh, so the ministry of the Holy Spirit fills Ephesians five eighteen, and I got it here. And you do not, are on it. Yeah, do, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. So the idea here, and and, and it's kind of more. You get this technically in the, in the language here, but it's keeping in step 
or walking or being controlled by the Holy Spirit in your life. So the Spirit fills us, and, and for us as the believers, we're to keep in step, we're to walk, be controlled by the Holy Spirit in our life. Man, that's good. Fill, okay, so the, the alternative says don't be drunk with wine, yeah. but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So we're all indwelled with the Holy Spirit fully at salvation, right? But can we be at different levels of filling in the Holy Spirit? Yes. Yes? Okay. Yes. All right. All right. A little hesitant on that yeah. one. You think so? Right? So there is, this is don't be drunk with wine. Yeah. Right? The so what idea, do you... The idea there is don't be controlled. Does that make sense? Yeah. So... Yeah, don't be controlled by alcohol. Yeah, that's... Yeah. And, but yeah, but be controlled by the Holy Spirit in your life. And the Holy Spirit's leading. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the idea there. And it's a wonderful passage there in Ephesians 5. But yeah, the idea there is don't be controlled... And then for the believer, keep in step with, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. You know the classical passages, Ephesians, or Galatians 5. So, Awesome. Yep. Great. And the number nine is gives gifts. Now, this one is simple. You just cup your hands together and extend the gift. There you go. Let's get everybody on this one, 100% participation. <laughs> But that was, there we go. Okay. The Curtises were kind of holding back and then they got in. So I'm glad. Thank you guys for indulging us on that. Giving gifts. And this is 1 Peter 4.10 is the one. There's several other passages, but let's go to that one. 1 Peter 4.10. I like this one. All right. Hang on. My bad. 4.10 says, uh, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very gift. Grace. As each has received a gift. So how many have received a gift? He's talking to Christians here. Each one. So everyone who is in Christ has a gift or gifts from the Holy Spirit. And you can look at the book of Ephesians chapter 4, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, tells you the list of the different gifts. But every believer has a gift. Maybe it's a gift of administration, the gift of evangelism, of teaching, of helping, of pastor shepherd. Uh, that one's available for men, by the way. And uh, But women, too, can be shepherding, pastoral-type people. does not have the position of elder. But... Uh, God has given everyone a gift, and for what purpose, according to that passage? Can you read it one more time? Nope, lost it. Oh, I'm sorry. To equip and to... It's to build up the body build of up. Christ, right? Yeah. So the gifts, if you... The first Corinthians, in the chapters 11, 12, and 13, they're all fighting over the gifts, right? Saying, I want this elevated gift. I want the sign gifts. I want the gifts that uh, everybody looks to and says, wow, look how gifted and talented that person is. And what's Paul's response? If I speak with tongues of angels, if I have all the great signs and wonders, but if I have not love, I'm nothing. So he says, the gifts aren't for you. The gifts aren't for you to say, wow, look how gifted I am. The purpose for the gifts that God gives to us through the Holy Spirit is to serve one another, to build one another up. So you have to ask myself, if I'm going to be a good steward of the gift that God has given to me, am I using my gift in the body of Christ to serve other people? And to not use your gift to build other up is to not be a good steward of the gift that God has given to you. So God gives us gifts in order to build one another up. And then number 10 is the Holy Spirit 
intercedes. And that's just praying hands. Praying hands just like this. The Holy Spirit intercedes. In Romans 8, you read that every day, so you probably got that memorized, yeah. right? Romans 8, 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, uh, for we do not know how to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. Anybody ever had a moment where it was so hard that you didn't know how to pray? It was so difficult that you couldn't even put it into words, the emotions you were feeling. I think we've all been there at one point, and if not, we will be. And Romans 8 tells us, says that in that moment, the Spirit takes our groanings, our, our mm, this, this hurt, this anguish inside, and he takes them to God. And he says, if Brad could put this into words, God, here's what he's saying. He's interceding. He's, the Holy Spirit is praying for you. Isn't that amazing? And he's not just enabling you to live. He's dwelling in you, God himself, and he's praying for you. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. He brings our groanings and presents them to God. And then number 11, he illumines. He illumines or illuminates. This one is just a light bulb above the head, just a bing. Let's do, let's say bing on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Bing! Right? That's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. See, you said this seems to be an interactive module. We just made it really interactive. Okay. (laughs) So the Holy Spirit illumines us. And that means that he enables us to understand the word of God. The natural man, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, cannot understand the things of God. They're spiritually discerned. You can read the word of God, but apart from the spirit of God, you can't understand the word of God. Unless the Holy Spirit guides you, you can't understand what you're reading. We used to play when I was a kid. I grew up in church, and we'd play sardines in the basement where somebody would hide. And we had this amazing basement that had zero windows, and it was a total death trap if, it, if anything happened down there because there's no way to get out. But it was awesome for sardines, right? And sardines was someone goes and hides, and then you got to find him, and everybody stays with them until everyone finds that person. Well, our youth pastor is playing with us, and uh, this basement was just pitch black. And we're wa- everyone was kind of huddled together because we were all kind of scared, but we were being brave for the girls, right? And uh, we walked into this room, and it was so dark. We couldn't even see our hand in front of the face, right? You've been there before. You know what that's like. And then all of a sudden, someone comes in and flips the light on. It's like, oh, man, what did you do that for? And then next to me, I see someone out of the corner of my eye sitting in the chair. And I look like this, and my youth pastor sitting right there. It's like one of those, oh, we're in the same room as him and we didn't know it now was he still there even though we didn't know it yeah but the light had to flip on to reveal his presence and so the holy spirit when we read his word and we see the things of god he comes in and flips the lights on so we can comprehend the things of god so we know what we're reading this is what i would submit to you 
when I read the Word of God, not every day, but a good majority of them, I'll start by praying and saying, God, would your Holy Spirit enlighten my mind and enlighten my heart to understand your Word? If the Holy Spirit's the agent of the Scriptures, the author of the Scriptures, why not ask him for help to comprehend them? So that's what I'll encourage you with when, you, when you're reading the Word of God, is acknowledge you need the Spirit's help to understand it and uh, ask him for it. Yeah, go ahead and read it. Sorry. First John 2, uh, 27. But the, anointing, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. This is the anointing of the Spirit. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, it is true and is no lie, just as, just as it has taught you Abide in him. His anointing yeah. teaches us. You and I have the resident truth teacher living inside of us. Ooh. That's that's a great concept. Yeah, and I like what Jesus says in John 16 when he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. He says, he will take from what is mine and make it known to you. I love that as well. Can, can I read a couple? Do I have time real quick? Yeah, I think you just, got it, bro. Just it, just a couple of is it an aw pink quote or who's it no, from i got some i got some john calvin and john, oh Johnson we'll allow Edwards. it yeah that'll yeah, be okay. good these are good seriously talking about illumination so this john john or john calvin in an institute book number three true spiritual knowledge consists not in the written word of god alone but in the word of god illuminated by the spirit john calvin hmm. and then there's jonathan edwards the illuminating work of the spirit enlightens the minds of the elect to rightly and spiritually understand or apprehend divine things. Jonathan Edwards, Religious Affections. Good stuff. That is good stuff. I love the way you read quotes, too. Yeah, they... You read it, and then you go, John Calvin. John Calvin. It's awesome. I love it. A.W. <laughs> Pink. A.W. Pink. Uh, <laughs> all right. Tell us about number 12, Zach, that the Holy Spirit guides. 12, Holy Spirit guides. You have that one, right? Yep, I got okay. it. Uh, John sixteen thirteen, when the Spirit of Truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and will declare to you all the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit guides or teaches you and I the will of God. That's amazing, guys. Yeah. Um. And, and when need be, he supernaturally moves you and I into the decree of God. Yeah. I'm firmly convinced of that. You have stories in the book of Acts. Uh, I'm thinking of the call of, from Macedonia. Paul's trying to get to, he wants to go to here, but the Holy Spirit's preventing him to get to where he wants to go. Hmm. Right? Yeah. And so the Holy Spirit essentially is guiding him supernaturally where they need to be. Does that make sense? Well, it's interesting because sometimes we think of guiding as just showing us where to go, but a lot of times God's Holy Spirit guides us by not letting us go somewhere. Yep. So you think, God, thanks for leading my path, but often we think, thank you, Holy Spirit, for stopping me and closing a door, yep. and that is your provision and your guidance as well. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I also noticed in that, that verse there just the, the equality of the Trinity, but yet the different roles they do, yep. right? So... He says that uh, that text, you know, the Holy Spirit, what was it one more time? When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. 
he will not speak on his own authority, right? So his, he doesn't even speak on his own authority. You know, you think about Jesus, too, that says, I can't do anything in my own authority, the Father, you know. So you got this equality but different roles within the Trinity as well. I just thought that was interesting. I don't know if you thought that or not, but awesome. good. Okay, good. Thank you. And then lastly, number 13. Oh, I'm sorry, we didn't even give you the one for guides, right? Guides. Uh, so then you take your hand. And you hold it out like you're being guided, right? All right, there you go. All right, I like that one. It makes you feel really weird because sometimes following the Holy Spirit is awkward, but you got to do it, right? So, and then number 13 is our last one, the Holy Spirit comforts. And for that one, you just take your arm and you extend it around the person around you and you give them a nice Christian side hug, right? You reach out and you love them and say, because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He comforts. In John chapter 14, why don't you read those, Zach? If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with be within you. And I will... I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So many different things that the Holy Spirit could be called, right? But you said he's the helper earlier. And then in this passage, it tells us that he's the comforter, right? God is, is living in you and he's, he's, he's praying for you. He's making you holy and he's comforting you. He brings comfort and sometimes that comes through another believer. And the Holy Spirit prompts that believer to bring you comfort. And he also gives you that inward sense that I belong to God, right? Romans chapter 8, 2 says, and the Holy Spirit causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. He's, he's inside of us and he's, he's telling us, you feel so rejected right now. You feel so far, but I'm inside of you and I'm saying, God is your Father, and that's from the Spirit of God telling you that you belong to him. So let's go through all these motions again. You want to do that? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. So you had, I got the microphone, so you're going to have to give the actions here. So first we have restraints. Everybody, here we go. Restraints. Secondly, we have the Holy Spirit regenerates. Regenerates, right? Just like that new birth of that baby. Thirdly, he convicts. Fourthly, he baptizes right? And then fifth, he indwells. It's like that baby, right? Indwells that womb. All right. And then sixth, he seals. Good. Seven, he sanctifies. Right? The halo above the head. Very good. Uh, Eight, he fills. Mm, Bob Evans right there. Olive Garden, whatever you want it to be. (laughs) Cracker Barrel. Number nine, he gives gifts. Everyone's got a gift. Be a good steward of those. Number 10, he intercedes. Praying hands, he intercedes. He prays for us. Number 11, he illumines. Bing! Bing. Right? (laughs) Number 12, he guides. Take that hand. (laughs) You're just being guided by him, right? Very good. And then number 13, he comforts. Comforts. Well done. Good job. The Holy Spirit is working, whether we acknowledge him or not. So let's acknowledge him. Mm -hmm. Let's acknowledge him daily. 
let's follow his leading intentionally because he is leading us. Why not acknowledge that leading in our lives and, and putting away sin and following him as he convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment? And then let's just be in awe of that triune God. We've studied the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One thing that I love from pastors, he talks about the Trinity playing part in salvation, all three of them. And he asked the question, according to the Father, when were you saved? Before eternity passed. Before said. eternity yeah. passed, right? Bef according to the Father, you were saved before the foundation of the world. According to the Son, when did you come to know Christ? 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago at the cross when he made the payment for sins and the atonement that we looked at last week. According to the Holy Spirit, when were you saved? Right. Then that moment where you repented and believed and you were indwelled by him through all time. So you need all three as they accomplish the work of salvation. The Father chooses, the Son pays, and the Spirit seals before that he regenerates and shows you the need for the son so let's not overemphasize one or the other but to worship the triune god because that's how god's revealed himself to us one god one essence and three different persons Amen. anything you would add to that uh, zach i know you wanted to say thanks i'll give you that opportunity yeah, if you want to it's truly the, the trinity is divine beauty I mean, I read that in my readings, but he is divine beauty. I mean, I love that expression. Uh, but yeah, just uh, uh, thank you so much for coming. I mean, we had weather every single like Sunday night, and we had a bunch of choices. So thanks for coming to our module. And, and I'm telling you, like truly from my own heart, I mean, it, the material, it's been mind-stretching. I mean, it's been heart-enlarging, soul-delighting. And so I hope it has been profitable for you. Uh, and encouraging to you as well. So 